0: The opinions expressed on this Webmaster Radio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of Webmaster Radio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of Webmaster Radio.fm is prohibited. All right.
1: Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center,
2: Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly here from the Internet Law Center's um, Media Center in Santa Monica. It's great to have you. Um, Please be seated. We have another great um, segment of Cyber Law and Business Report for you today. Um, We're going to cover two unrelated issues. Um, The first is we're going to talk about um, software and and testing software in particular and how important that can be and whether that should be a a regular standard um, that software should have to meet, much like building codes have to meet. And we have with us um, a very unique individual who I'll get into in a minute. But then in the second half hour, we're going to start our segment on nonprofit um, internet companies and some of the models that are evolving online. And our we're going to start off our first one will be um, a great organization called ProCon.org that has been praised by Congress actually for its contributions to political debate. So, um, but without further ado. Um, we have with us today a guy named Walter O'Brien, and he is the founder of Scorpion Computer Services. Um, he's got a very unique background. Um, he's originally from Ireland, and um, at the age of twelve, um, he he was a hacker and hacked into um, a, a major government system in, of of uh, uh, involving space exploration, and um, and he later went on to Sussex University. Um, he's ranked number sixth as uh, the fastest programmer in the world, and I'm um, surprised that's not carried by ESPN. But in any event, um, he has moved on. Um, he, was, he became a United States citizen. He was admitted on the same visa that Einstein and Winston Churchill were admitted um, for uh, exceptional individuals, and he um, – He's gone on to be not just a, a computer whiz, but a major entrepreneur. He's got a host of different companies he's involved in and funds that he's managing. Um, so you know, just um, listening to what he's doing is is fascinating. But he's um he's done some major work in terms of testing outcomes. And um, so, Walter, Walter, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Bennett. Thanks for the intro. You're welcome. Now, um. I'd have to ask um, when you had the incident where you hacked into the, the uh, space program. Uh, what were you, what was your parents' reaction?
3: Well, um, I only got to see the after effect because uh, at that age, I was still coming home from school and uh, encountered a house surrounded by black cars and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, mom on the couch crying and dad uh, not too happy but not necessarily sure why and a lot of men in suits that were uh, wanting to yell at me a little bit for what I had done Um, who were then a little surprised when I out of my school bag I pulled an extradition waiver and told them if they sign this I'll show them where the holes are in their network and uh, that calmed down the conversation and we ended up doing a deal as happens with most uh, hacking incidents that you don't hear about. How did you know to get an extradition waiver? Um, my friends who had gone through the same thing. Uh, at that time, there was only a, a few folks on the planet that were, were known uh, hackers and uh, had been discovered uh, w- uh, and tracked down, and this just became, I guess, standard operating procedure.
2: Well, wow. I mean, for my friends who work in the the cybersecurity area, um I would hope that you also carry business cards of cardiologists I'm sure I'm sure you some of them um, have consult have received business because of
3: you. but um well, so- we, we uh, the interesting thing was it it did lead to some other business. A couple of years later, the Bank of England had plugged into Swift for all, which is used for all interbank wires and transfers and because of uh, the work i had done on the space program they asked me to um uh test their swift network and i cracked that 16 times and i was uh i think i was 16 at the time um and that that led to to more and more business after that um but that that's a pretty scary thing if you imagine having full access to all wire transfers from any bank where you can Redirect where it goes and add a few zeros or take them away. And I want to thank you for that, by the way. But <laughs> just just kidding, folks.
2: But um, you know, we were talking offline, and and for the audience, you know, you attended Sussex University, and you know, I don't think Americans appreciate what, what Sussex's um, you know stature in the world, and uh, you know, it's one of the top universities in Europe. And I think you said that Sussex undergraduate students. Um, grade papers for MIT graduate students?
3: Yeah, during the year I was there, um we had a, we had a 96% dropout rate in our course, of which most people had 7 years business experience before they went into the course. So it was quite unusual. Um there was double degrees in computer science and artificial intelligence and um yeah for the, for that year the masters students from MIT some of their work was submitted uh, to professors in our uh, in our college who then uh, brought those students over and had our students grade uh, where how they had done and and where we what level we thought they were at and they actually had students from MIT come visit to meet with our students and explain the gradings and the feedback because uh, back then there wasn't a lot of different Uh, universities doing artificial intelligence courses, it was somewhat of a nebulous subject. And our course was extremely uh, difficult and advanced, and we kind of became an authority. All of the folks that spun out from that university graduation, from that graduation class, went and did some pretty phenomenal things. one of them did the ballistic missile targeting system. Another one did the electronic warfare simulation system for the Ministry of Defense. Uh, another one was the first uh, hacker busted in Europe uh, for hacking into Harvard here in the U.S. and giving his friends A's and then uh, messing up, the, s- <laughs> messing up the, back- the backup systems of the Swiss bank accounts. Um, but, uh, yeah, with friends like that, you know, who who needs enemies? <laughs> no, um, no.
2: Getting to the topic, you know, you've done a lot of stuff in, in terms of testing outcomes. Um, yes. I think you told me that you were able to um, figure out all the possible moves in the chess game in, in an hour and a half or something like that.
3: Well, uh, so you're referring to a, our new product. Right. Uh, which we just got nominated most innovative. We got nominated top three finalists for most innovative product of the year. Um, and that's the um, that's for Scorpion Computer Services, right? Yes, yeah, it's called SenGen Scenario Generator, and it um, uh, what it is. Just to, to kind of explain it briefly, if you pictured two chess computers playing each other, they would eventually, uh, or they would rapidly and exhaustively play every possible game of chess, every move on the board. And what we did is built a system like that. Abstracted from it the rules of chess into a modeling language, so basically, we could build a model of anything and with that generate all possible um all possible outcomes or all possible games so for example, we were on Fox News about a month back where we uh, generated all possible war games in Afghanistan in under one second uh, when we apply it to testing software. If I plug in a GUI or a web interface or an iPhone app or anything else, it will immediately generate everything a user could possibly do. And it does so at a speed of 250 human years of testing every 90 minutes. Wow. And it plugs into commercial off-the-shelf testing systems. Um, you'll see it running on Northrop's uh, the command and control system for the U.S. Navy at 20 times human speed on our website. Incredible. Incredible. So in doing
2: that, um, as that technology develops, is that expected? You think will be standard before any product launch, or would it be cost prohibitive?
3: It would. uh, It's a great question, and it depends. uh, What we're finding is it depends a lot on the motives of the folks uh, producing the software. So you take certain big organizations that make their money on upgrades and patches and support and selling, you know, a slightly better version six months later. And they're not necessarily interested in fixing all the bugs right out the door because their concern is, well, why would anyone buy an upgrade if the system they bought just works perfectly? Right. Um, As all software does. (laughs) Right. Um, Others... Uh, a lot of it, they just don't want to put in the effort because there's no precedent for it. When you have no fitness for purpose clauses in your license agreement and no one can be sued when software breaks and when software has bugs, the community is kind of trained to expect it and go, oh, well, it's software and just throw their hands up. Uh, and nobody gets blamed and there's no consequences. There's, there's very little culture around the, um, saying, well, why should we have to go to the extra bother of actually getting rid of all the bugs now in the past they could argue that because they said well there was no way of testing everything there was no way of thinking of all the bugs uh, human error for a working professional on average uh, is about three percent of the time and if you look at the supply chain of how software is developed you have the, the user who kinda sorta knows what they're asking for a business analyst that's writing it down in the most ambiguous language in the world English a developer where you're lucky if they're only making 3% error per 1,000 lines of code, and a tester who was given half the time he was promised. And then you go live with all of those 3% cumulative errors, and you're expecting five nines of uptime in production. You know, the math doesn't add up. So what we try to do is we close that human error gap at at the bottom of the supply chain, which is with the tester, so, if the tester can think of every test and run every test before the system goes live, they can compensate for the upstream human error.
2: And also, I think you can cal- you would calculate as well. Um, you know, if there is something that does an error that does cause happens on in the result, that you can weigh whether or not it's the, like its
3: likelihood merits uh, adjustment. You're correct, um, and actually the. What we've done is art, our testing used to be an art form, and it's now we've turned it into a science. But pruning or weighting what you care about becomes the art form. So maybe it's generated two million tests, and um, we don't have time to run all of them. So now, how do we cleverly figure out which ones we do and don't care about, which is the weighting you're referring to? Right. And uh, you can, there's lots of methods of doing that. You can weight it on risk. You can wait it on exposure, meaning I don't think we t- touch this area in this version. But the, the ultimate advantage of once you've run it once and you're able to, to, you've set up the harness where you can run it on each release is it becomes a security blanket that guarantees that every new release or upgrade is guaranteed to be no worse than the current production. And, and that's a huge advantage to folks that uh, basically nobody dies and nobody gets fired on Monday. Because of a Friday night release, maybe your new bells and whistles don't work, but it's guaranteed to be no worse than current production because you ran it on both and compared the results and they matched. I mean, how many people
2: listening have lost a computer or a laptop um, when Microsoft released updates or someone else released updates?
3: Yeah, I mean, or air, air traffic control systems, nuclear power centers, fighter jet targeting systems, and other scary uses of software that have killed people in the previous months what's an example you I mean you mentioned those well, i mean can
2: any any you can name specifically
3: um well last year twenty eight Americans were killed in a friendly fire incident um due to software bugs that coded their icons as red instead of as green so um uh they just uh were accidentally our allies became our enemies because the pixels were, c- were the wrong color God, that's a diff- tough
2: one to explain um I mean the poor families, and um, and also I mean I would think definitely for nuclear power. I
3: mean there's so many areas where software is
2: huge when the margin of error is quite slim.
3: Right, but there's no authority. Um, there's no minimum. So let's go back to the construction analogy that, that that you brought up. I can't just claim tomorrow that I'm a structural engineer or that I'm a, a building architect without having done the degrees and qualifications and. Licensing and an oath that I take related to those areas. No, but you I, can. This is web radio. You can go out with it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyone, any, anyone can claim they're a coder or developer or tester, and, and if someone will hire them, they, they'll work away and do it without any verification that they actually know what they're doing. Right.
2: And you know, and also just because the field itself is so young, I mean, what does that mean? Even if we all agree, you know, there's no agreement on what that means, even if you are capable.
3: Right. And, and well, there is no governance without consequence. And the, and the issue here is that if, if someone does claim that and they bang out a system and are working on an air traffic control system and it does crash the plane and kill people, there's no consequence. The, the company won't be sued. Uh, the uh, software programmer won't necessarily be tracked down as the culprit or even fired. Um, there, there's massive multi-billion dollar glitches on Wall Street uh, every month where they've they've done accidental sales and accidental algorithmic trading of billions of dollars that have cut down companies' valuations by up to 30% just because of someone fudged the wrong uh, symbol or the wrong, put an extra zero in the wrong place when they traded. And... Uh, I've yet to see a programmer on the front page of the Wall Street Journal being blamed for uh, being the one who, who created that bug in the in the trading system. Do they I mean I imagine they must insure for that. Well that's the, that's the problem uh, frankly that they do insure for it and it's the same problem with cybersecurity. The big banks um, that we're all familiar with they they have insurance against you know cyber terrorism, cyber leaks, cyber fraud etc., so when they do get hacked and someone steals a bunch of ATMs or PIN numbers, um, they simply uh, pay out to the folks and claim it against the insurance. So, Uh, other people's money. Right, but they don't bother actually fixing the security system to stop it happening again because that's too much hassle and there's no motivation to do it. They just say, well, that's what insurance is for. Interesting. But you think,
2: you know, in so many of the areas, I mean, especially in building codes, you know the insurance companies have been driving uh, a lot of the developments because they don't want to pay out. They want, you know, they, they're creating higher standards for that reason.
3: Right, and I think, again, some of that is, as you mentioned, that it's because the industry is relatively new, and primarily that a lot of these insurance companies and the folks in them are of a generation that don't quite see software as tangible as they see buildings. A building falls down in an earthquake or a doorway collapses on someone, they see that as okay, that's shoddy workmanship and we know who built it and we can go chase them down. When it happens in the software world, folks tend to toss their hands up as, Well, it's black magic and it's untraceable. Well that's true too, but <laughs> And
2: uh what was the quote you mentioned to me about software being magic?
3: Oh, yes, uh, and I forget who to attribute it to, but it's a well-known quote that any sufficiently complex piece of technology is indistinguishable from magic. So for most people, when they hit send on their email on their phone, and uh, it goes to a friend of theirs, and they can load up the email in their inbox and look at a JPEG picture attached, to them that's magic, because if you gave them a napkin and a pen and say, how did that work, they wouldn't know. True. Then- um it's similar to a lot of folks that drive their car around to get from from A to B every day and never really pop the hood on their car, and they just turn the key and the car goes. But how it goes is magic. Um, for, for a lot of folks, uh, that is the case. i say 99%. And the other 1%, uh, which I guess I would be included in, could actually explain down to the ones and zeros how that email gets stored, broken down redundantly transmitted through the Internet, through the network, how it finds the destination, how it gets disassembled on the other end, and how the JPEG gets read and rendered as pixels on the screen so you can actually uh, see the picture.
2: Now, if you had to estimate, and granted, this is a seat-of-the-pants thing unless you've already done it, um, in terms of consequences relatively, um, you know, the con- the consequences averted by some of the, the building codes that are established, for example, particularly in you know, coastal areas, for example, to you know, withstand hurricanes or in, in this area to withstand earthquakes versus the consequences um, of what is not averted
3: by not having any more stringent standards and software. Well, to, to, to answer that, it would depend on what you agree is the worth of a human life. That's, probably, that's quite high. Um, uh, so I know there's billions and billions lost every year in software bugs and errors. And uh, there's the same amount spent uh, when it comes to building codes and with structural engineers and other groups in order to protect all the buildings. Um, now, the question is, would they have ever fallen down? How would they have been built otherwise? When is the next earthquake? And whoever's killed, how much is their lives collectively worth? And there, there are organizations out there that, will, um, that have placed values of 8 million to 22 million on a human life when they're lost in a car crash or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, I'm sure there's good ways to have counter arguments both ways, but if we assume a human life is worth a lot, then uh, perhaps we should do everything we can to save it, especially when we start putting software in charge of people.
2: Yes. And well, and once you know it's preventable, at that point, how do you not? Um, how well, do you justify not doing it?
3: And that's exactly how the game has changed. You know, this is the first time now in thirty years that a, an unleashed engine like SenGen is available to the public, and uh, now it is preventable, and uh, that should change the game. No. Now, now proving that software has no bugs in it is simply a choice. And an expense, and though, I mean, it
2: is it's it's um, uh, one of probabilities, yes. You know, given this probability, what is your duty? And then that's also sometimes what the law steps in. You know, a law is very big on foreseeability. If something is foreseeable, you can be liable for it. Now, how foreseeable, how likely does it have to be for a company to have liability? That you know that that's something. You know, as we learn more about. You know, modeling and and likelihood out likely outcomes,
3: even at at a fractional level, then that's something that the law is going to have to adapt to. That sounds like a question for the mortgage industry from a couple of years back. Um, and my question would be again, coming back to no governance without consequence, there hasn't been a whole lot of consequence for those folks that could could have foreseen all of the, um, uh, the, the crisis financially that got caused uh, but uh, I think we, we rarely trace down root cause and punish people because of, they could have foreseen stuff I just haven't seen a lot of evidence of that but I do agree otherwise what's the point in being qualified as a as a scientist or as a professional Exactly. Well, we're going to take a short break but when we come back we're going to continue this
2: interesting conversation and we'll be back in a few minutes with Walter O'Brien Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for
0: our sponsors. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja, an exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit the Internet Marketing Ninjas booth at PubCon 2011 Vegas or visit imninjas.com. The ninjas are coming.
2: As you know, being an expert at f
0: what
1: did she say
2: requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think
1: you could use some
2: help with f- Whoa! You're not alone.
1: Hundreds have used our tool to take their f performance to the next level. The language! Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on a Quizio.
0: Oh.
1: Buy, track, manage, optimize and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio search, social, display, one platform. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a
0: real advantage.
1: AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. Drop into the webmaster chat room.
0: WebmasterRadio.fm Clothing is optional. WebmasterRadio.fm WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere.
1: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
2: And we're back with Walter O'Brien um, from Scorpion Computer Technologies, and we're talking about um, software and regulation. Um, to what extent should there be standards, you know, whether it's industry-wide or of some sort, in terms of what level of performance the software should have, particularly when now, in light of Walter's new technology, um, SynGen, that actually allows you to predict um, outcomes. Now, Walter, um, you were talking about the financial crisis, and you said that it, it the that was not foreseeable, or or was that uh, was that sarcasm?
3: No, I, I, a little bit of sarcasm. I was saying that uh, you know the the questions you were asking me about uh, you know when if events are foreseeable, the, the courts and the legal system um, usually uh, I guess uh, can take action on that or frown upon it. But I haven't seen evidence of that in the financial crisis, of which a lot of it was definitely foreseeable. Yeah, no, that's... but if if everybody for uh, simultaneously puts their head in the sand. Then it, um, it seems to be okay.:
2: Yeah, A, a collective uh, amnesia or a collective blindness is, some, yeah, is often the case sometimes. Um, now one thing I just want to shift gears a little bit, because I, for those who are unfamiliar with Walter, what's fascinating about him is not just what we've talked about so far, but that he, he does so much more on top of that. Now you how many, tell us about some of your other enterprises?
3: Um, well, I, I have a, a couple of different uh, companies and products. Uh, we have 177 areas of intellectual property. We harvest IQ from the planet when possible, uh, lease it out by the pound, and create a sustainable home for the mentally enabled. So it's a, sli- a slightly facetious high-level uh, summary. Uh, Scorpion is a consortium or collection of some of the smartest IT folks in the world uh, gathered together in one place. Uh, where where they can work together without killing each other. And we work on projects from, you know, government and Fortune 500 customers all the way down to startups that are wanting to do, you know, e-commerce solutions, build stuff in the cloud, et cetera. And we basically have a huge toolbox from speech recognition to image recognition solutions, artificial intelligence systems for business analysis and uh, data visualization structures, and just a, a very good tool chest of uh, the type of technology that generally falls in the gray area, where it's not black and white. It's something you want to do that kind of replicates human behavior. Um, and uh, customers bring us hard problems, and, and we get to work on it. Um, so we, we've throughout the years, we've worked on garment-matching technology with uh, uh, companies trying to figure out based on someone's body measurements, what clothing would fit them uh, uh, and flatter their body type. Um, We're uh, engaged in contracts that involve assuring security um, against human error on network configurations and things for some of the the large agencies in the world. Um, We've worked on credit scoring uh, and FICO type scoring systems for underwriting um, credit card debt and credit background and verifying who the goodies and the baddies are in the mid prime space and how do you tell the difference between the two um, so it's a, it's a lot of uh, just uh, interesting problems that don't necessarily have an easy answer but we think we can at least get something that works 80 to 90% of the time um, reliably and and you're also involved in, in- you're active in some funds as well, are you not? Correct. Well, we've worked with the largest uh, funds in the world uh, in terms of mitigating risk for them in twenty countries worldwide um, and we've done that for about seven years and then uh, also um, the we have our own venture capital fund uh, that invests and buys out uh, about six deals a year in the software space five to fifteen million dollar rounds. And uh, we do acquisition pops, we do due diligence for a lot of the big venture capital funds and uh, high net worth individuals. Uh, We're engaged with about seven different billionaires at any one time uh, to build out solutions for them that for countries or royal families that want to create some sustainable solution for their country. And,
2: you know, how do you prioritize? I mean, it, it seems like you know, there's so many different ways you can go, and, and you already are. And of course, you know, even with a high-powered computer, you still have 24 hours a day, and you need some sleep. How
3: do you you pick your priorities? Well, um, we tr- we try to believe in infinite scalability as simply a, a, another problem to deal with, which is kind of <laughs> how we how we organize ourselves and how we scale. We take all comers. Uh, so if someone brings us a new System and they're a nice person to work with, which is actually one of our higher priorities. That the, this person is reasonable and sensible, and uh, and uh, we can work with them. And uh, together, we'll be likely to be successful. Then uh, we'll engage with them, and uh, there, there doesn't seem to be a huge shortage of folks that want to uh, to join us and work with us, and. There's a reason for that, and I won't go into the full manifesto of the company, but in short, a lot of these engineers spend their entire lives trying to mitigate a single point of failure in a network or an architecture or a system, and then they realize one Friday when they get laid off from their job that their whole lives had a single point of failure by having a single employer. And um, with us, we allow folks to work when they want, where they want, on what they want, Uh, but we give them the options of working on three or more projects simultaneously. And that means on their worst day, when they're laid off or a project has stopped or been fired, they only lose 33% of their income, which makes their whole life a little more predictable and eliminates the single point of failure in their life rather than in the systems they work on. Interesting philosophy. Walter,
2: it's been a pleasure having you. If people want to find out more about you, what's the best way to look for you?
3: Just go to scorpioncomputerservices.com and uh, you can contact us there and see all, everything about us. Everyone,
2: Walter O'Brien, a brilliant man and a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, hope you consider joining us again. Thanks again. Thanks, Bennett. And Appreciate when we come it. back, we'll be talking with ProCon.org after these messages.
0: SES is the leading search and social marketing conference and expo. Discover SES for yourself by going to SES Chicago 2011 from the Hyatt Regency in Chicago, November 14th through the 18th. SES Chicago 2011 will feature incredible breakout sessions on SEO, paid search, advertising. Plus, you can take part in the online marketing summit, one-day social media summit on Monday, November 14th. SES Chicago 2011, November 14th through 18th. At the Higher Regency in Chicago, log on to searchenginestrategies.com and register today.
1: MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOtool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try My SEO Tool risk free today. Go to MySEOtool.com. MySEOtool.com. WebmasterRadio.fm. Get addicted. Get ahead. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on
2: webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Cyber Law and Business Report. And um, we have with us Kami Akavon with ProVocon.org. And as part of first of our series of profiling some interesting nonprofits in the online space. Kami, are you with us?
4: Sure, and Bennett. Thanks for having me on your program.
2: Thank you. Now, um, ProCon.org was um, praised by um, um, Congress for their their contributions?
4: Yeah, we were recognized on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. We were brought up by a Democratic congressman from New Jersey. Uh, he honored ProCon for being named a top 25 reference website. We were selected by the American Library Association as one of the top 25 free reference websites in the United States. Uh, and the... Other people I recognized included Google and WikiLeaks and UNESCO, I mean, major organizations with multiple times larger budgets than our little operation. Uh, So we were very honored by their recognition, and then uh, even more honored whenever we were recognized in the U.S. House of Representatives.
2: So let's back up a little bit. Um, What is Procon.org? Procon.org
4: is a nonprofit organization that does research on controversial issues. What we do is we present both sides of a controversial issue providing the best research we can provide and make it available to the public. So for people who are not sure where they stand on the issues of say medical marijuana, concealed handguns, the death penalty, lowering the drinking age, whatever it is, we've got the best research available at your fingertips to where you don't have to spend hours of your life looking around all over the Internet, stumbling across unreliable sources, half-truths, etc., uh, we'll present the best of their arguments in one spot so you can easily read both perspectives and walk away with your own opinion, whatever it is.
2: Now, how Google- do you do that? How do you, um, how do you filter you know, the, the substance from the fluff?
4: Well, I mean, it is an art and a science, and we have hired professional researchers. They came to our operation having already done this in various capacities. These are people with advanced degrees from top universities. And what we're doing is trying to make complex issues uh, a little more simple for people to understand. So we might read an entire book about a topic and present only two sentences from it, because that's the nut of it, and that's what uh, we believe our, our readers are after. It takes us hundreds and thousands of hours to put together some of our sites. Uh, The medical marijuana site, for instance, it took us approximately 5,000 hours to put that thing together. We had to interview hundreds of different government officials, scientists, scholars, uh, read different scientific papers, uh, and what we ended up with was something that a person can spend five minutes just poking around the site to read. Uh, So we look at it as our pain, as everyone else's gain. We do the heavy lifting so that people can, they don't have to spend all this time online. We believe that it is important for people, not just important, but critical for people to understand what's going on in their society and have unbiased information at their fingertips so they can make informed decisions. Without an informed electorate, then
2: our democracy just won't function as well as it should. And, And so where do you get your funding?
4: Well, I wish we had more of it. I mean, really, our our business model is basically politely begging for dollars. And we've been politely begging from various foundations, and uh, a lot of our readers have also given us money. The big foundations that are funding us is primarily the person who founded ProCon. It's a gentleman, an LA businessman by the name of Stephen Markov. Uh, Mr. Markov made his money in the precious metals industry and has since turned into a, a philanthropist with his with his monies, and we are a main beneficiary of his philanthropy. So he is a, certainly a big funder of it. Aside from him, there are a handful of other foundations, and there's several hundred of the readers of Procon who want to support our operations, want to keep us going, because they realize that there's not a lot of people out there. In fact, there's not any that I know of who are doing what we're doing.
2: Now, um, your board includes, includes Bruce McNall, the former um, King's owner, correct? Sure
4: does. Yeah, Bruce has been helping us out for I think a couple of years now. Uh, Bruce seems to know everybody in Hollywood. I think he was at Universal for a while, and he knows so many people in the sports world from his connection not only to the Los Angeles Kings, but at one point he owned the Toronto Argonauts as well. He That's was the right. owner of yes. the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bruce knows everybody. Uh, so it's it's fantastic to have his contacts helping us out. Particularly when we want to make pitches to foundations, you might know someone on their board uh, and make a personal appeal on our behalf.
2: Now, what have been the, um, the, the hot issues for you? What issues do you get the most traffic on?
4: Number one by far is the issue of medical marijuana. You know, it's legal in 16 states and illegal by the federal government and in every other state and so people keep hearing about medical marijuana and they just don't know what to think they don't know whether this is a legitimate medicine or is it just a cleverly funded campaign for people who want to get high and so what we've done is compiled the best scientific research the best uh, perspectives from people in government as well as uh, the advocates on on either side of this issue and just presented it all in one easy-to-use resource so I think for people, that's one where they're they're most often confused. If you go type in medical marijuana, for instance, into Google, good luck to you. You're going to stumble across so much junk. You're going to wish you hadn't done it. Uh, so it's just much easier for people to just go just go to ProCon. You'll save yourself tons of time uh, by knowing that we've already done uh, all that poking around and only have the best information there.
2: No, I mean at the end of the day, you're you're an online business you know albeit yeah. a non-profit so how do you promote your business you know it's a little bit different than for-profit businesses uh, in, in several ways number one
4: is we don't have a huge marketing budget our entire operation and this is for a staff of eight full-time people uh, is run with about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars so our marketing budget is slim to none what we have to do to bring traffic to our website and that's the primary measure of our success as people who are reading this content is by optimizing our websites for SEO purposes, and we're very good at that. Uh, I used to do SEO for uh, Internet casinos in a former life, and our IT manager is also very skilled at doing this, and we uh, have also outsourced to uh, two different companies to help us with SEO. That is a huge driver of our traffic. When I say huge, I'm talking about 95% of our traffic is coming uh, through organic search engine uh, queries, uh, primarily from Google. Aside from that, you know, we, as a nonprofit, were able to solicit Google, uh, and Google gave us a grant so that we could use their AdWords system. We have a budget of $10,000 of Google's money per month that we're allowed to spend exclusively in their AdWords system, so those little paid ads on the side of the searches, uh, you'll see some pro-con keyword ads that appear in that section as well. And because we're a nonprofit, we, for instance, have benefited from a journal called Education Next that gave us free ad space in the publication as an in-kind donation to ProCon. So, you know, we'll we'll beg, borrow our, our way towards getting more more traffic to our, our websites. But that is fundamental difference. We can't we can't afford branding. We have to pay for direct response. Whatever going to get people to directly click on on our site is what we're after. And I think in that regard, we're remarkably efficient. Last year, for instance, we had over 10 million sessions to our websites. That represents about 6 million uh, people coming to the sites. And 6 million people to our site is a huge deal. I, for instance, compared our web traffic to the top 400 largest nonprofits in the U.S. This is as according to the Chronicle of Flansbury. These are outfits that have billion dollars in, in revenue plus, and then there's us, which is smaller than a million. We're not even in the top ten thousand uh, in terms of budget for nonprofits in the U.S. And we are, however, in about the top one hundred for web traffic. And what makes us remarkably efficient is is really this SEO push. And you know, beyond that, Bennett, honestly, it's it's our content. I mean, it's just so good that it keeps people coming back.
2: Well, to put that in context, um, I'm looking at um, your page dealing with education, and you've been praised by the California Superintendent of Education, Um, you've been praised by the past president of the American Association of School Librarians, and um, both by NPR and Fox. Fox News has said that, um, praise you as being for unbiased and being a great resource. So, um, you know in, in such a highly partisan news era of, uh, today to be praised um, you know that that says a lot for you guys
4: you're absolutely right i mean there's not a lot of outfits like ours, and i I truly think that our content is what distinguishes us from everybody else and How awesome is that that we have n t r which some people believe is on the left, and Fox, which most of us believe is on the right uh, and have both of them uh, praising us for being unbiased. I just think that's fantastic thats that says a lot about us. Uh, and and those kinds of things are helpful in driving traffic to our site as well. And once people are turned on to what it is that we're doing, they they often become advocates. They're like, "This is too good to be true." Are you kidding me? It's free. You know, we're not we're not looking to make money on this. We're our our nonprofit public charity. We're truly motivated to help people. We're so mission focused, and I think that helps our efficiency as well.
2: What well, then brings the, the a difficult question is uh, in Do you ever consider advertising on your site? And because that's always a tough thing for a non profit fifty cents they're relying on grant money um, you know they don't want to have anything that competes with the people giving the grant
4: you know it's a absolutely fair point, and this is a, a word of caution for a lot of uh, nonprofits out there. I mean there's so many different business models to keep a nonprofit afloat, and ours is is primarily the the begging for dollars of the foundation route. Now we tried because all nonprofits uh, wish they had more money. Uh, all all people probably wish they had more money. (laughs) Yeah, there are very few that wish they had
1: less.
4: (laughs) You know, we tried the advertising route because we thought, hey, maybe this is a silver bullet for us. But it was woefully inadequate, and I'll just tell you that we were getting cents per day, not dollars, tens of dollars, or thousands of dollars. We're making less than a dollar a day for ads across our sites. We said, "Well, you know, cents a day. Well, there's a small trickle. That's better than nothing." But you know, I don't think it's better than nothing. I think nothing is better because we would rather not have our readers look at these advertisements. That in itself is worth something. Uh, well, plus also than
2: the time you were spending, you know, chasing the getting the ads.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean there's things like Google Ad Networks where you can just press a few buttons and now you voila, you've got ads on your site. Uh, but in a I mean even without that uh, without the the manpower of of keeping all the ads going and and selecting which ones and chasing after people to advertise on the site, even without all that, it just it wasn't worth it. There's just not enough money there, so we said, forget it. This is not going to keep our business afloat. We have to focus on other things. We have to go after people who are genuinely interested in keeping this operation going.
2: Now, um, what about in, in terms of when you talk to people about the site? You know, what what area are you most proud of? You know, is there any like a pro con that you point people to and say? You know, that that's that's the measure of what we do.
4: You know, I I do the opposite of it. I ask people what intru- what topic interests you? here's forty two of them to choose from, pick one. And then once they they pick, they start poking around and realize, oh my gosh, there's so much here. Well, one of the ways that we hook people in, and this is often one of my talking points, is each one of our sites has a section called Did You Know? And that's where we just throw down some I can't believe it piece of trivia to Get these people thinking. It's, it's sort of like hitting them with a two-by-four of, of uh, information. So, for instance, one of them was that Thomas Edison, the famous American inventor. Well, Thomas Edison used to electrocute animals, and, in fact, we have the video footage of him electrocuting an elephant. you it's, it's, I mean, it's an amazing footage uh, and something that people don't think about, but this is truly the origin of the use of electrocution in the U.S. Uh, system of capital punishment and, and execution. So it's relevant to our topic on the death penalty, and it's just fascinating footage. Why was he doing this? Was he a, a cruel animal killer, or was he trying to win the war of the currents because he was a, a supporter of direct current? And his opponents, like Westinghouse and Tesla, were uh, proponents of alternating current. So this was just yeah. this was the type of warfare they were playing. So all these kinds of issues we flesh out in our site. But like I said, this did you know section is where you come across bits of information like that one that will just keep your mouth open, going, "Wow!" Like the way that people used to salute their flags when they said the Pledge of Allegiance. Did you know on our Under God in the Pledge site that people used to have their arms outstretched? Uh, it looked a lot like a Nazi salute, uh, and in 1942, the flag code was amended to change it. Instead of sticking your arm straight out, you would put your hand over your heart. I always thought it was always over the heart, but but that's, that's not true. And we actually have pictures where you can see school children and this is the Library of Congress photo from... Uh, earlier in the in the 20th century, where you see kids with their arms outstretched saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and it was, it's just amazing uh, information like this that uh, we use to just stimulate people's thought and get get them thinking critically about all these important issues in our country.
2: Now, what's your next thing, um, topic you're going to release?
4: Oh, here's a good one: the election, the 2012 presidential election. We are now embedded with the campaigns of all of the. Republican candidates who are running for office, uh, and we'll look at them. We'll look at Barack Obama, and we'll look at the major independent candidates and third-party candidates who are running as well. We're going to ask them 100 different questions, and actually, we would appreciate your your uh, audience's input on which questions to ask. Uh, and
2: is Libya will... part of Africa?
4: <laughs> well, there there you go. I'll I'll write that one down. Thank you very much. You know, it's it's this kind of thing. We want people to be able to. To have use ProCon so that we can ask these candidates because they are listening to us. They are they know that we we have millions of people reading our content. They want their views expressed on the site, uh, so they answer our questions. And if they don't answer our questions, we're going to look back at every speech they gave, every paper they wrote, every article they wrote, everything they wish they never said, uh, and we will go through all that data and then find their actual statements we we don't we want them to answer specific questions unlike a lot of media outlets they say what do you think about this issue and they'll say blah 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 and you still don't know what they think in our case we decided we're going to ask them a very specific question and are they going to answer it or they're not and uh, we're going to say what their answer is, and if they don't have an answer, we're going to say they don't have an answer, and that and that's it. So it's easier; it's so much easier to make sense of where the candidates stand on the issues. So to answer your question in my long-winded way, is that the 2012 presidential election? That is going to be the that's big, your new baby, the big, the big one, right?
2: All right. Well, Kenny, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on, and um, you know, I've always been, as you know, I've been a big fan of your organization. I think everyone should check out procon.org um Kami it's been great having you um and um please you know keep us posted on your um developments and maybe we'll have you back on again as the election progresses now um today is the 230th anniversary of the British surrendering at Yorktown and so they, they even though it was after Labor Day it was quite fashionable to wave the flag of white so um a big day in American history and um so 230 years ago today, the, the small country of the United States beat the world's biggest superpower, and we've been doing wonders since. So this is all for Cyber Law and Business Report this week. Hope you join us next week and and download us on iTunes as well as on webmasterradio.fm. And please um, spread the word, share the podcast, and let us know what you think. This is Bennett Kelly from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica. Court is adjourned. We'll see you next week.